You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident finalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today, obviously, we uh, have to look at the um, Minnesota Vikings-Green Bay Packers game coming up tomorrow because, you know, it's tomorrow. I do have the luxury of having another day. I may split it up that way because there are some other things to talk about. I don't know. There's basically a pile of information. How it gets split up between today and tomorrow kind of will depend on how today goes. But I want to start off with um, kind of a random question. Seemingly random, but it'll, it'll make sense in time. I'm actually doing this in reverse of the information as I found it, but it brought me to a question that was asked that was, when was the last time we've seen a cornerback play as, as well as Jair is playing right now? And it's a pretty tough question. Jair has allowed 14 receptions, one touchdown, and has a pick and three pass breakups, a total of 122 yards in seven weeks. He has allowed, um, the most amount of receptions he's allowed is four. He did that in the first two weeks. Since then, he's allowed one reception, three receptions, two receptions, and zero receptions. I know you've seen all the graphics about, no, no, he didn't allow any receptions. No, no, he didn't allow any of the receptions to the big guys. He may have given up one to, you know, one of the lesser guys or whatever. The worst game he had this year was against Minnesota. Out of You know, again, that's a tough one, dude. Everybody, that's that's why I can't get on the... I hate Kirk Cousins bandwagon. You know, from the Viking standpoint, we obviously love bad quarterbacks. Every time he plays Green Bay, he plays like the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life. His throws are so pinpoint accurate, it's ridiculous. That's why it's just weird Packer fans are like, he's so trash. Like, did did you watch the game? But that game, seven targets, four receptions, 66 yards, and a touchdown. Only touchdown he gave up this entire year. It was also the only game where he has an interception. The worst passer rating was in that game, 89 Overall, his best game was against Houston, 39.6. And if you just base it off of PFF grade, you got to go back quite a ways. Obviously, the season isn't over yet, so, you know, grades can rise and fall. But Jair right now is a 90.8 overall. The last time we had a corner grade higher was 2012. Casey Hayward was 91.5. Sam Shields was very close at a 90.2. You want to talk about the one of the best DB groups ever. Devon House was fifth with a 72, Morgan Burnett, 71 overall at safety. I think there might even been a better crew than this when I was looking. I don't know. But that was the last time we saw, grade-wise, a cornerback play that well. He allowed 33 receptions for 456 yards and had six interceptions. The interesting thing is, and I've seen this with several cornerbacks, because the the other guy I wanted to look at was um, Charles Woodson, because he's had several years, obviously got to go back quite a ways, but uh, all with Green Bay, where he just really tore it up, um, especially in terms of interceptions and whatnot. But the interesting thing is, if you look at Casey Hayward, you say, you know, it's possible Jair ends the season with somewhere around 33 receptions for 456 yards, but what are the odds he gets six picks? He only has one. Casey Hayward's first pick came in week five, and then things kind of kicked off. In fact, it kind of came in bunches. Four of his six came in three weeks, weeks five, six, and seven. Then when you get back to 2009, we're in the Charles Woodson era. 2009, Charles Woodson, 91.7 overall grade. He allowed 46 receptions, only 227 yards, which seems impossible because Jair already has 122 until you realize we're halfway through the season almost. So he's about on track for that. 
Um, 46 receptions. Jair's given up 14. He's on pace for about 30 receptions. So, again, the biggest difference is the eight interceptions. But again, Charles's first interception came in week seven. So through seven weeks, Charles Woodson and Jair each had one interception. Charles Woodson had given up 21 receptions at this point in the season for a lot of yards. I'm not going to add it all up, but it's a lot. So bottom line is Jair is on pay, on a at a better pace than Charles Woodson was in, um, in actually I'm looking at the wrong year, but whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. That was 2006 Charles Woodson. But again, he didn't grade out quite as well. It was an 88.7 overall, so Jair is technically ahead as far as his grade. But again, the interceptions and all that stuff. Bottom line is Jair is on pace right now. If the interceptions come in bunches, as they may, again, Casey Hayward had one through week five. I think he had four by this point. But again, that came in like a bunch. He had zero through, I think, one through weeks four and then two for the rest of the season. Um, There is the potential that this is one of the better seasons a cornerback has ever had and again the only thing really missing is he's got to get a bunch of picks and obviously not fall off but one of the other guys he's in competition with isn't just Charles Woodson it's Mr. Herb Adderley and I always feel bad doing stuff like this after somebody passes away because it's like where was the love and respect while they were alive and I get that it's hard to spend a lot of time on the history part of things when we've got football now I suppose in the off season I should probably try to work a little bit in I think it would make for a pretty cool segment anyways but Regardless, here we are. Obviously, this was well before my time and, and most of the people's listening time, but um, when I looked up Herb Adderley and his stats, obviously the first thing that came to mind was Charles Woodson. The biggest difference is Charles Woodson played a lot longer, and um, I mean, his stretch of dominance was similar, possibly a little bit better than Herb Adderley's while he was with Green Bay. But the bottom line is, Herb Adderley, pretty much for his, the entirety of his career, was dominant. From 1961 to 1969, he was with the Green Bay Packers. He was either Pro Bowl or First Team All-Pro from 1962 to 1967, every single year. They didn't have the kind of PFF stats back then as far as how many receptions he gave up for how many yards or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, there's not even pass deflections listed here, so they must not have even been keeping track of that, but... Just the amount of ball hawking. If we just go through the interceptions from from 1962, which was his first year as a starter, through 1969, his last year with the Green Bay Packers, 7, 5, 4, 6, 4, 4, 3, 5. The guy had more defensive touchdowns than some guys have interceptions. In 1965, he had six interceptions for 175 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, that's that's like backup wide receiver numbers. <laughs> Not not good backups, but, you know, like MVS a couple years ago or something. But anyways, obviously Herb was one of the, the all-time greats. Um, he's just one of those guys that belonged in a different era, you know? He was too good to be playing back then. He was just better than everybody. He was, he was smarter than all the, the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. He was more athletic. And sometimes you get that, you know, like a Charles Woodson. Like, he just belongs in a different era, assuming that we just keep getting better over time. And um, we haven't really seen it very often. In, in my lifetime, I think the the, the closest thing that uh, people my age can understand in terms of what Herb Adderley b- brought to the Green Bay Packers during the early run with uh, with Coach Lombardi is Charles Woodson, a very similar type of player. You know, especially even, even if you look at some of the highlight reels, you go on YouTube and look at some of the stuff, you know, jumping routes and all that kind of, just being real smart. He'd, he'd be in his backpedal and start sprinting toward the ball as soon as the quarterback cocked his arm. He just knew. 
And he goes and he just plucks it out of the air like it's nothing, you know. It's, it wasn't like a difficult catch. You see that with a lot of the guys we have now where it's so close, you know. It's, it's It almost looks like the ball is like a super bouncy ball or something. Like it just it constantly bouncing off. You get guys like Herb or, uh, or, or Woodson. It almost looked like it was it was you're catching a pillow. Just plucked it out of the air like it's nothing. Like he wasn't even paying attention to the ball. He's looking, you know, how many yards can I get? Can I get to the end zone? And he did a lot. Guy had seven touchdowns in his career. I mean, if you get seven interceptions as a corner, you're doing pretty well. He had seven touchdowns. He had 48 interceptions. Um, he also, after his time with Green Bay, uh, after Coach Lombardi left, he went over to Dallas. And uh, many of the guys there talked about how he helped them to win a Super Bowl. Dallas was always a good team, but couldn't quite get over the hump, which for all the we need to go out and get a free agent types, there you go. Herb Adderley was not only a great free agent acquisition that helped them win, but transformed their locker room. I was watching the video, um, the top 100 players or whatever, he was 60-something, but you had a Dallas Cowboy on there talking about how, you know, Landry was a good coach, but he's a pretty quiet guy. It was a lot of, you know, wasn't a lot of rah-rah type stuff. And obviously Herb Adderley had been coached up by... Lombardi so when guys lose and they start pouting he was not putting up with that nonsense he went on there and just tuned guys up and uh, just it changed the culture it changed the locker room quite a bit and um, they needed it and it helped them to win a Super Bowl so great person fantastic player I mean one of the guys that helped the Green Bay Packers have the legacy that they have you know we as fans fans that weren't even close to being born yet when the Packers won their first two Super Bowls we get to brag about how many titles and how many championships and Lombardi and and all the greats and everything because of what guys like Herb Adderley did you know guys like that are the reason that the Green Bay Packers don't have the same legacy as the Browns and the Lions could have easily gone the other way you know pick a couple different people you know instead of bringing in coach Lombardi we bring in somebody else Instead of picking Herb Adderley, you know, we go a different direction. And again, it's it's very fleeting. Most of the time when you grab, uh, you know, when an owner takes over, he's not going to be very good. When you bring in a GM, he's not going to be very good. When you bring in a coach, he's not going to be very successful. Um, when you bring in free agents a lot of times, you're not getting the value you're paying, which is the biggest problem with free agency. You know you're overpaying. When you draft players, almost every single draft pick is not a good football player. It's about the times that you hit that matter. Right, if, if you play, obviously this is a terrible example because you lose way more often than you win. But let's say, I mean, if you, if you play the lottery and you get, let's say, 10 scratch-offs and win 10 grand, it would be ridiculous to complain about the nine scratch-offs that lost. What a horrible track record you have of picking scratch-off tickets. You big dummy, we won $10,000 with a, with a winning scratch-off. You always lose. It's about the fact that we won. Herb was one of the $10,000 scratch-offs. Charles Woodson was a was a $10,000 scratch-off, and it's starting to look like Jair might be next in line, and that's that's very cool. And it it almost just feels, I don't know. You know what I mean? You know what I'm going for, right? I don't want to say anybody's carrying on anybody else's legacy. Everybody else is, is you're your own man. You have your own legacy. You brought what you brought to the team. But it is, although accidental, almost feels like honoring that we have a guy like Jair to carry that legacy, which is a much underappreciated legacy of the Green Bay Packers. We know about the quarterbacks. We know about the wide receivers. But um, there's, there's, been a, there's been a history of uh, cornerbacks. Maybe not quite as pronounced, but if we're going to brag about three quarterbacks, um, we already know Woodson and Herb Adderley are in the top best cornerbacks of all time conversation. So it's very cool that we've got potentially. We'll see what happens. Because the first two years of Jair were not... Um, 
worthy of top 100 cornerback conversation. But the, the season he's putting together right now, I mean, it, it, it does look similar to some of the, again, Casey Hayward. I think that was the highest graded cornerback the Packers have had in the PFF era was Casey Hayward in, what did I say, 2011, 2012, something like that. Very reminiscent statistically of what Charles Woodson did through his era with the Green Bay Packers. And again, that's reminiscent of what we're seeing from Jair, which is the first time we've seen it since Sam Shields' Casey Hayward days. And if he can maintain this, because again, remember Charles Woodson, um, he didn't really, he was always good. He didn't really take off until he got to Green Bay. If you look at his interceptions, for example, um, if I can even find him here, so many stats, um, 5 one four one one three one one. Then he comes to Green Bay and it's eight, four, seven, nine, two, seven. Like it just he just he just went off in Green Bay. Again, he he was always good. His rookie year getting five picks for 118 yards and a touchdown. Um that's that's solid. But I mean he started in nineteen ninety eight. He didn't get to Green Bay until two thousand six, although he started off hot. The fact that the peak of his career started what, eight years into his career? Stuff can happen. So anyways, Wanted to take a minute to talk about the great Herb Adderley. It's always nice to uh, to learn about the guys, too. I, again, I need to do a better job of learning while they're around. I always say that about family and friends, too. You find out so much at their funerals, and it's like, man, I wish I knew that. You know, while they were here, I didn't know they were basically a superhero, for crying out loud. I remember learning about my Uncle Ron, which is my grandma's brother. You know, I mean, you know these guys. You see them at the Christmas party or whatever, but it's just it's just a guy. You know, it's your uncle. Just like all the other uncles and cousins, they're just people. Come to find out he's a Marine police officer, jujitsu black belt, and you hear some of the stories from, you know, his younger days, and it's like, why didn't anybody tell me about this guy? You know, my grandpa and three of his brothers trying to tackle him in the ocean, and they can't bring him down, or, you know, somebody banging on the hotel door trying to start trouble, and there was a flash. We don't know what happened, but the guy was on his back, you know. So, you know, again, something to... to consider especially in the offseason is starting to look at some of the history of the Green Bay Packers trying to get a better understanding of these guys and you know stuff like that I don't know oh it turns out Sean Connery died too so that's not great just got that update I don't have any thoughts on that I was not prepared so we'll we'll uh I'll let you google Sean Connery discuss favorite movies amongst yourselves we gotta we gotta move on here um, I've got quite a bit of thank yous, I believe, because I've been a little bit behind. That's not, actually, not, that's a lie. I'm not behind. I just forget about Venmo sometimes. But do we want to say thank you to JJ. Decided to up his pledge. Thanks a lot for that, senor. Um, quite a few people on Venmo for the 900th episode gave $9. So thank you to Kyle DeCloud, Jordan Simpson, Daryl Yeeter, Paula Sheridan, Matthew Capasso and Jeremy Sharp. Thank you guys so much for your $9 for the 900th episode donation. Very much appreciate that. Anyways, let's take a break here. Um, It's weird that it's a Saturday and I'm short on time, but that is the situation. So we'll rip through this and then we'll try to get through as much Packers Vikings as we possibly can. Whatever we can't, we will save for tomorrow. So I just had two people yesterday reach out. They got their Iron Jock hoodie. Actually, one just got it and said it was amazing. The other said he's had it for a while. Wanted to at least try it out before he gave his final opinion. Also was a big fan of the Iron Jock hoodie. I'm hoping that they reach out into the Facebook group or wherever to let the people know that they enjoyed it. Um, I've not heard a negative review yet, and I wouldn't really anticipate getting any because it's it's just it's, it's awesome. In fact, let me take a little snippet here. This was from Marshall. 
says, whether I'm working out or putting furniture together, I sweat, but I don't feel sweaty, if that makes sense. It also does a great job keeping me warm when it's raining outside, all in all, just wishing uh, wishing I can get a pair of sweatpants now, which I've, I've kind of been doing the same thing. I'm I'm going to get something else from Iron Jock. I don't know what, and i got to kind of save up some pennies and, and figure out... Uh, what the most, what the best option would be. Probably should be a shirt because then I can wear it to work every day because that's what I do with most of my life. But I don't know. I got, I got to kind of plan this out. But again, check out ironjock.com, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. They got polo shirts, vests, workout shirts, sweatshirts, shorts, socks, and underwear, running jackets, hoodies, and pants. All of them are infused with their Enduratec fabric, which is wicking, wicking and fast-drying, breathable, anti-static, and eliminates odor because of the silver ion. If you don't know what any of that means, go ahead and check them out on Facebook or on Twitter at IronJock. They've got videos that explain all that stuff, but there's a lot of technology that goes into it. But at the end of the day, it just feels really comfortable. So again, IronJock.com, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. And then finally, MyBookie.ag, where magic is our mission. We got games today. We got college football. Don't forget, I know we're all NFL fans, Packer fans, whatever, but uh, you know, you can jump in on my bookie today with some college football games. And the, the great thing about things like, uh, you know, whether it's Daily Fantasy or, or, or sites like my bookie, is that it gives you a rooting interest. You can pick any random, stupid game that doesn't matter. Pick a time in the day in which there isn't the game that matters to you. Texas School of Engineering versus uh, Mississippi Mudwater Swamp Creature football team. And that's the only game on between like four and seven. This random time slot of nothingness where you know there's just a honey-do list of stuff waiting for you to do. Go ahead and put down a bet, 20 bucks on the Mississippi Mudwater. I'm not saying pick them. I'm just saying pick anybody. Then you got a rooting interest. Sorry, honey. I would. Money's on the line here. They need me in my rooting at the TV. If I'm not barking at the television screen, we're out 20 bucks. And then what are we going to do? How are we going to feed the kids? You're going to feel real guilty about that, aren't you? Boom, you're out of doing laundry. It's just that easy. And you can do it with the help of mybookie.ag. <laughs> what is this? Anyways, when you sign up at mybookie, make sure you use promo code OVERTIME uh, to claim your deposit match for match, dollar for dollar. Doesn't super make sense, but you get what I'm trying to say. You put down any dollar amount up to $1,000, and they're going to match it. They're going to give you that same amount in your account to spend at mybookie.ag. From stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sporting uh, events, and more, sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at mybookie. Bada-bing-bo. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. 
superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So one of the things I really like to do as the season progresses is to look at when a team wins and loses. And I haven't done it, I don't think, at all this year because we haven't really had a big enough sample size. We're kind of getting to that point. Um, The problem is we're dealing with one team that only has one loss and one team that only has one win. So we're still not getting a very good picture of, of when you win and lose. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, when we look at the Minnesota Vikings, Every single one of their losses has come at a time when a team scores 21 or, or excuse me, 27 or more points, which is pretty staggering because the Vikings are 17th in points scored. They're not terrible. They scored 34 against the Packers. They scored 30 against the Tennessee Titans. They scored 26 against the Seahawks. They scored 31 against the Texans. Texans game is the only game that they won. But so far, um, the formula has been the defense needs to keep a team under 27 points or possibly under 23 points. Again, not a huge amount of information here to win a game. The, the, the problem the Vikings are having, though, is that they can't do it. This defense is horrific. 30th in points, 30th in yards. They just traded away Yannick Ngakwe, and they just put a starting corner on IR. They're getting worse. They're already arguably the worst defense in football, and they're getting worse. On top of that, they're coming off a bye week against Green Bay, which, you know, we'll have to see. Maybe it's just a Green Bay thing. Maybe they're going to come out a little bit hot. But there's a lot of talk about people expecting Green Bay to come out flat, not just because it's the Green Bay Packers and that's what they do, but because of the nature of what this particular bye week is in this COVID environment in which you don't get to go home and recharge your batteries. You don't get to go into the facility and work out because it's completely closed. You have to just stay home. So, you know, and listen, regardless of whether or not they come out hot or come out flat, at the end of the day, if this is dependent on the Vikings defense keeping the Packers below 27 points, that's going to be a real, real, real tough challenge. Now, on the flip side, if you look at their their points scored, it's obviously not as... um, Again, just not that much information. Generally, when I do this, you got about 10 games under your belt or more or whatever with a good mix of wins and losses. And you can start to put things together as far as when a team wins or loses. When it's just one win or one loss or whatever, it's it's tough. But for points scored for the Vikings, they haven't won a single game in which they've scored 30 or less points. They're 1-1 one one when they score over 30 points. They beat the Texans when they scored 31. They lost to the Packers scoring 34. So... The, the goal for the offense, and there's a huge gap in between in which we don't know exactly what happens, but the goal for the offense is we have to score more than 30 points. And even then, it's not a guarantee. The goal for the defense, try to keep them under 27 if possible. Right? What happens if both teams are in that 28-ish range? I don't know. But that's generally the goal that they're shooting for. And again, I think the biggest thing is the offense really has to be on pace for, you know, 31 is the bare bones minimum because the odds of keeping the Packers below 31, 2, 3, 4, 5, that's a tough, that's a tall order, man. On the flip side with the Packers, I mean, it's it's even more ridiculous and not even worth hardly doing this, but <laughs> the, 
the Packers have have won every game in which they've scored 30 or more points, which usually is a negative. Because then you look at it and go, geez, you have to score 30 points in order to win? That's horrible. Well, there's another way to say this sentence or to, to analyze the data. The, the Packers haven't lost a game in which they've scored more than 10 points. <laughs> so what happens between 11 and 29? I don't know. Likewise, um, the only game in which they've lost is when the defense has allowed 38 points. Any game in which the defense has stopped the other team from getting 34 or less, has kept the other team to 34 or less, the Packers have won. So clearly what this paints is a picture that is entirely offensively dominated. The, the bar, this, and this is almost the opposite of what happened last year, the offense sets the bar really low for the defense. Hey, keep them below 34 and we got this. Obviously that's not sustainable. And the, and the, the real fear here, and it's the reason why I'm a little bit worried about the Vikings, although it seems ridiculous to be worried about them, is that the Vikings are the team that's going to put up 35. So if the offense is saying, look, just keep them at 34 or below and we got this, I don't know that that's a guarantee slam dunk. Now, again, the, the biggest thing here is the fact that if any team has any defense, if any team is going to stop the other team from doing something, it's the Packers' defense. Now, there's always flukes and there's crazy stuff that can happen, a sack, a pick, a fumble, whatever, that can flip this thing. Um, so the, the, the Packers defense uh, on some level has to be able to do something. If they go down and score touchdowns every time, then it becomes a matter of which, which f- team is going to have a fluke first. So there has to be some level of defensive performance. But again, the, the bar is set pretty low. If the Packers defense can keep the Vikings, let's just say below 30, I think we've got this one in the bag. Um, another thing to keep an eye on is uh, big plays, which the, the Packers are kind of set up for, maybe more so last year. I don't know if it's a change in philosophy to be a little bit more conservative this year. In other words, less big plays, but also less big plays given up. But one other correlation here when you look at the wins and losses for the Vikings, the the Vikings have lost every game in which they've had a turnover, which makes a lot of sense. What did I just say? The Vikings can win if they keep their foot on the gas offensively, but their defense can't stop anybody. So the way that the Vikings win is you score on just about every possession and hope that the other team at least gets stopped once or twice or whatever, and then we can win. But if we have turnovers, we're in trouble. They had three turnovers against the Tennessee Titans and lost 31-30. to Think about that. They, they were one point away. Technically two points away from beating the Tennessee Titans. They lost by one point. They had three turnovers in that game. Three to one was the ratio. They had two more giveaways than they had takeaways. They were the better team, but they blew it. Against the Colts, exact same thing. I mean, there was a bigger score discrepancy, but it was 28 to 11, but they had three turnovers in that game. The Falcons, 23 to 40. It was a blowout, but they had three turnovers. What happens if they don't have three turnovers? Against the Seahawks, 27-26, one-point difference. They had one more turnaway, two, tur- two turnovers compared to one. And then the Green Bay Packers, 34-43, to wasn't super close, but it was one turnover compared to zero turnover. Against the, tennis, uh, excuse me, against the Houston Texans, they didn't turn over the ball once, and the defense got one takeaway. And the defense has been pretty consistent. They've had one takeaway in every game except against the Green Bay Packers, which is obviously one of the harder teams to take the ball away from. But they won the turnover battle, and they won the game. We just have this. This is the thing. Very simple. The Packers are by far the better team, right? That's not even a question. The offense should be able to drive down the field against this defense with relative ease. It's still the NFL. There's still quality football players that get paid. There's still a very smart defensive coordinator who's got a lot of experience with the Green Bay Packers. I'm not saying I expect touchdowns every single drive. But the point is, the Packers' offense has to be efficient, has to really, I mean, again, if we're talking about one of the best offenses in football, 
And I understand that there's injuries, and I understand Aaron Jones isn't going, and that's a problem. There's a couple other guys that are questionable. David Bakhtiari may not go. Uh, Mason Crosby, Tyler Irvin, Raven Green, Tyler Lancaster, Darnell Sapp. I mean, there's, there's, there's a list. Granted, mostly defense, but the goal for the offense is to not implode, right? And I don't necessarily expect it. We see implosions against defenses that get them out of their game. I don't know how they're going to do that. The Vikings don't have a pass rush. Yannick Ngakwe was arguably their best pass rusher, although he was second in his pressure rate. But he's gone, and the corners are about as bad as you can get. The safeties are not what they were last year, not what they have been since pretty much every year, probably because of the lack of pass rush and the lack of cornerback ability and everything else makes it harder for the for the safeties to be able to do what they do and just focus on their job and tear it up. So the defense as a whole is terrible. The offense has to take advantage of that. They cannot come out flat in this game. From the defensive side of the ball, your job is to be disruptive. I'm not saying you have to dominate. I'm not saying that they're not allowed to score points against you. Right, I'm not even asking you to, to do what you did to the Texans, which is, you know, their first points come with nine minutes left in the third quarter. I'm just saying, you know, maybe once every other drive, stop them. Because this should be a matter of, similar to other powerhouse offense type games, first team to kick a field goal loses. And I think our defense has the ability for a three and out. They have the ability for a pick or a sack or a fumble or a goal line stand. And to me, that's really what this comes down to. That's really the, the long and short of it. I genuinely think both offenses are better than the other team's defenses. The Vikings should be able to run the ball. Dalvin Cook is a full go. They're very good at running the ball. They've had success running the ball against the Packers. Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson are the best wide receiver duo in football. Justin Jefferson is graded as the highest graded wide receiver in the NFL right now. But they're very mistake prone. Again, lots of turnover. The, the defense has to be ready to be opportunistic. And we have guys like Zadarius who are struggling, but still have that ability to get after the quarterback, to be disruptive. Maybe not at a rate that we're used to, but when it matters, we need to see you. On that critical third down, let me see you. Just one time. I think that's going to be one of the biggest things in this game. In a sense, it's, a, it's about the offense, but really it comes down to the defense because I expect both offenses to operate at a relatively high level. It comes down to which defense is going to be the most disruptive. Obviously, it's, it's possible that the offense has come out flatter. Anything's possible. But in my mind, this comes down to defense. And anybody betting on the number 30 overall defense in terms of points and yards who just got worse over the bye week um, to be the better defense, you know, that's bold. <laughs> that's pretty bold. But I don't even think Vikings fans are expecting a win here. Um, you know, under different circumstances, I, I think this could be a relatively quick rebuild for the Vikings. They've got a lot of guys that'll be coming back. Obviously, their corners are extremely young, so uh, you expect a little bit of growth there, some early picks. So as they continue to get better, you get Daniil Hunter back, um, you get things back in line, start to build up a little bit. You know, th- this could be a quick bounce back for the Vikings. Can be. It could go either way. Obviously, every year guys get worse, guys get older, guys get more expensive. You have to get rid of people and try to bring in new people and, and all that whole thing. But as of 2020, as of, you know, October 31st, 2020, the Packers are clearly the better team. It's not the Vikings season. In fact, I was just looking at I was going to talk about today, but it's obviously not going to come up. Um, some of the, the odds and statistics and all that stuff of where people are going to end up. As of right now, the Vikings are expected to be fourth in the NFC North. And understandably so, um, although they are a better organization than what the Lions are. The roster is just an absolute mess, and the Lions are buying and the Vikings are selling. The, the Lions are still trying to win because, again, they got guys that are about to lose their jobs. 
the Vikings are in it for the long haul. They're, they're, they realize this isn't going to work. They're going to do the smart thing, start selling off and getting ready to rebuy so that they can bounce back as quickly as possible. But they're out on this season. So that's about it. I mean, again, I'll have to save the more specifics, and that's fun. That'll be fun for tomorrow. Usually I don't do that on game day, but I'm going to do that tomorrow. Kind of do individual matchups and those kinds of things and get a little bit more zoomed in and specific. But um, i got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.